We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you catch the kittens on. This is Sports Crunch with DCROM. I'm your host, David Cromelo, joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, to full press coverage. Happy belated New Year, everyone. Hope you all had a wonderful holiday season. It's great to be back with you after we decided to take a break last week because there was absolutely no reason to talk about football. A player was fighting for his very life. In the most frightening moment I have ever witnessed on a football field, Buffalo Bills safety Damar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest after making a routine tackle on Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. Thankfully, the training staffs for both teams, along with emergency standby medical personnel, immediately rushed out onto the field to administer CPR. But even then, Hamlin's survival wasn't a guarantee as he had to be intubated, sedated, and taken to the hospital. Both Bills and Bengals players and coaches rightfully refused to continue playing because at the end of the day, football is just a game of entertainment where wins are irrelevant, whereas life is a game where wins are mandatory. And Damar Hamlin needed the ultimate victory. And thankfully, by the grace of God and the heroes on the football field that night, he got it and is now home and on the way toward a full recovery. And Hal, as the NFL moves toward the playoffs, DeMar Hamlin must continue to be on all our minds going forward because his whole ordeal taught us some very, very powerful lessons, didn't it? It certainly did, David. And, you know, thinking back to this season and, you know, uh, all the horrible injuries that happened for all the different teams, the concussions are at the forefront of the news. Uh, I don't think anybody, despite all of that, was prepared for what happened on that field on Monday night. I certainly know watching that game, I was not, um, you know, completely shocked. I, I couldn't tweet. I couldn't do anything but just stare at the TV and wait for and pray for updates because that was uh, unlike anything ever seen before on uh, live television of the most popular television show out there, the NFL. And, um, you know, it was just one of those things where you just ha watched it. You were in shock and you were praying and hoping. And, uh, you know, the only actions you could take of was, you know, uh, giving your loved ones a, a little bit more of a hug and an extra, I love you. And, uh, you know, even reaching out to maybe some of those you hadn't, uh, said that too in a long time and and passing that message on because it was just a scarring event oh it absolutely was and thank heavens that damar hamlin is alive and well because uh, not only has damar hamlin been an underrated player for the buffalo bills on the football field this year uh filling uh, uh micah hyde's spot at that safety position admirably uh he is one of the better humanitarians in this National Football League right now. He never forgot where he came from. He has a brother that's like 10 years younger than him, and he is the mentor to him and to every kid in his uh, native uh, McKees Rock, Pennsylvania, uh, I believe that's the name of the, the, the town outside of Pittsburgh, uh, a very impoverished uh, area that is plagued by uh, drugs and gun violence, he just wants to be the most amazing role model for his community first and foremost. And that's why he started a charity toy drive for kids in that community whose parents do not have the money uh, to buy Christmas presents. And we all rallied to his cause by donating whatever we could to that charity in the minutes after the incident. And uh, it has raised eight and a half million dollars ever since. And that, I think, was the most beautiful thing to come out of this, aside from Damar Hamlin's uh, survival as well. I, I couldn't agree more, David. The, the outpouring of support was amazing. Um, the only thing I can say is that what hasn't gotten enough attention is, you know, heaven forbid there could be a situation where Damar Hamlin, you know, thank God he's alive. 
you know, whether he ever plays or not, whether he's collecting disability benefits from the NFL, that's still up in the air. But the dirty little secret from the last collective bargaining agreement is the Players Association and the owners are cutting the disability benefits significantly uh, starting in 2024. Next year, um, all permanently disabled NFL players are getting their benefits cut by almost $2,000 a month. And this is something that the NFL that makes billions of dollars and the other players in the league that are making hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars have done. And somebody like Damar Hamlin could be someone that is not going to get those disability benefits. He hasn't vested in this league. And even if he was eligible, those disability benefits are going to be cut. And this has been very infrequently mentioned uh, on Twitter, in the news. This should be part of that story. The, the owners and the players should be brought together. Um, and, you know, this should be re-examined. They should be opening back up the collective bargaining agreement to take care of these players. Vested or not, these players who are permanently disabled playing the NFL should be taken care of, and the league and the Players Association are both dropping the ball on this on this specific thing. And this just puts that uh, should be putting it up in spotlights. And I'm it's just disgusting that this isn't even mentioned. Oh, very, very good point, Hal. It's a disgusting development indeed. And the NFLPA ought to do everything it possibly can to have this re-examined ASAP. You're absolutely right. And another thing that I hope comes out of this is that at every sporting event in America and the world going forward, whether it be football, baseball, lacrosse, hockey, basketball, you name it, we need to have similar medical personnel at every single one of those games because you just never know with these things. You just never know. Exactly. The medical personnel and these volunteers who are out there, the the dads and moms that are out there coaching and taking care of these teams, uh, the training. And this should be a trickle down from Major League Baseball, from the NFL. Uh, these are their future players. These are their future fans. These are the people that are going to be interested in their sports and paying money to watch it on television, supporting their sponsors, going to the games live. Uh, you name it, that should be trickling down from them. There should be training for all these volunteers and equipment there. I could not agree more, David. Yeah, and bravo to the New Orleans Saints for donating a lot of equipment to New Orleans area schools and such. Uh, so they have uh, the exact same uh, personnel and equipment as the Saints do at every single NFL game. Bravo, New Orleans Saints. And let's talk about some football because with Damar Hamlin now uh, home and happy and recovering, we can finally talk about football again to some degree at least. And let's talk about our reactions from week 17 and 18, and I will go first. The Philadelphia Eagles, even though they won last week and clinched the NFC's uh, number one playoff seed, their play as of late has been absolutely terrible. Jalen Hurts, clearly not 100%. That offense, clearly not the same without a healthy Jalen Hurts. And nobody in the NFC is playing better right now than the San Francisco 49ers. No matter how hard of a test they've encountered in recent weeks, Brock Purdy has always done his job to ensure that they win the game, as we saw in Vegas. And the 49ers, uh, outside of that uh, quarterback position, no offense to Brock Purdy, who's played well, are the most complete team in the NFC right now. And the developments of these past several weeks have made the 49ers at least NFC co-favorites, if not NFC favorites in my eye. That is my takeaway from week 17 and 18. What about yours, Hal? Uh, that's a great point there, David. Uh, and 49ers on their third starting quarterback, one of the best teams in the NFL right now, certainly the hottest, no doubt about it. Um, hey, my lesson learned, um, you know, it's we've always said it's all about the quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, we've certainly seen that over these years, the Brady's, the Rogers, the Breeze, the Mannings. But the next generation of the great NFL quarterbacks are here. 
Um, but wow, they're all in the AFC. Look at this. Patrick Mahomes, the old man of the playoffs in the AFC at 27 years old. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar when he's healthy, Trevor Lawrence, Tua when he's healthy, Herbert. I mean, NFC, yeah, you got Fields and uh, he's not in the playoffs. Murray, he's not in the playoffs. And you're, you're stuck with Jalen Hurts. I mean, uh, <laughs> look at Dak's almost 30, for God's sakes. He's not young anymore. So this next generation of quarterbacks um, in the AFC, I my goodness, prepare for dominance from the AFC because they're just lining up these great young quarterbacks, and they're all going to be on display here in the playoffs this year. I can't wait. Well, they most certainly are. And thank you to the football gods for allowing Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert to join the playoff party this year. That truly makes these playoffs uh, very, very watchable, especially in the AFC. And for go to the week honors, I'm sure you would agree with me here, Hal. I am giving it to Buffalo Bills assistant athletic trainer, Danny Kellington. Danny Kellington is a guy who needs an award named after him for what he did. He was the guy who administered CPR to DeMar Hamlin on the field. And had he been 15 seconds late, DeMar Hamlin would have been toast. And I mean that sincerely. Danny Kellington is the guy that saved DeMar Hamlin's life first and foremost. He is my go to the week. Heck, we're going to rename our go to the week award the Danny Kellington go to the week award going forward. That's all there is to it. Amen, David. I am not going to, uh, you know what? Danny Kellington, no doubt about it. Hey, uh, my wife is a nurse. She was uh, sitting in bed watching the game with me at the same time. And as they talked, the announcers talked about the CPR ongoing. Uh, first thing she said, she said, that poor guy that's doing the CPR, that's an aerobic workout. He's got adrenaline through the roof. It, it, she said, it's a miracle. He doesn't need medical attention after that. Uh, mm -hmm. And for Kellington and the rest of that training staff, uh, the quick decisions uh, to save his life, uh, their ability to uh, administer, know to administer that CPR, administer it to correctly is so very, very important. So David, I'm going to jump on the go to the week here with you as well. And we're going to make it unanimous for Danny Kellington. Amen. And for dunce of the week, I am going with a guy who the NFL must consider suspending for at least half oh. of next season. Green Bay Packers linebacker Quay Walker. Quay Walker, in large part because of you, the Packers are going to be watching the playoffs from their living rooms because you carelessly for the second time this season, shoved a member of the opposing team's training staff. I mean, if you're talking about player safety and making the game safer, it is just toe deaf for the NFL to not even consider suspending you for nine games next season. For two times this season, you have put members of the Opposing teams, medical staff, guys who we learned that are on standby to save your life just as much as they are to tend to the players on their team. Way Walker, you are an absolute disgrace. You are. You, you didn't just rob your team of a playoff berth. You just uh, brought the honor and integrity of the sport down a notch, and you deserve to be suspended for a long, long time. Way Walker, my dunce of the week. Amen. Great point, David. And Green Bay Packers, um, you know, uh, there's lots of you out there that claim to be owners of the Packers and showing me your stock certificates there. So um, get in line and do the right thing and suspend your player before the league does as well. The team can suspend a player. That action certainly deserves it. Uh, no doubt about it. My dunce of the week. Oh, it's close to my heart, David. We're talking about missing out on playoffs. Um, look, if I had to make a prediction before the Buffalo New England game, I would have said Buffalo 73, New England nothing because uh, the Bills were playing at an emotional level that is unheard of coming back um, and getting that W for the for DeMar Hamlin. And I, I think everybody in the nation was rooting for the Bills. But uh, New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, former special teams coach to have not won the opening kickoff, 
but two, a second kickoff returned for a touchdown, especially immediately after taking the lead in the third quarter, allowing that kickoff. First one, uh, Jabril Peppers, you know, lost containment. The second one, a horrible missed tackle by Miles Bryant. But Cam Acord, New England special teams coach, that is inexcusable with a playoff berth on the line and an organization and coach who expects the special teams to be special. Um, you know, that Patriots dynasty was all about the little things, the special teams, the kickers, the punters, the return teams. Um whatever it was making that difference to get the win. And this time it was making the difference to, to, to get that loss. So Cam Acord, New England special teams coach, you are my dunce of the week. Amen. Hal couldn't agree more. The Patriots special teams, not just this past Sunday at Buffalo, but all season long, their performance was very unbecoming and uncharacteristic of a Bill Belichick coach team. The Patriots special teams in large part are the reason why the Patriots are not in the playoff, despite another admirable coaching job from Bill Belichick. And with the end of the regular season comes the beginning of another draft cycle. And thus we are on to the 2023 NFL draft. And as we've said before on this program, while the 2023 quarterback crop is far better than that of last year, there is no Trevor Lawrence slam dunk prospect among them. And before the holidays arrived, some in the NFL had questions as to whether Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud were impressive enough to warrant a top five pick. Although neither has athletic traits that, wow you, both absolutely stole the show in their respective bowl games. Oh, my God, especially C.J. Stroud. What quarterback has looked better against that Kirby Smart defense in recent years? I dare you to name me one. I, I can't Not, think of any. No one. None. Do you think that both Young and Stroud showed in those bowl games and throughout the season that they have the talent that's worth spending a top five pick on? I mean, top five, that's so tough because there's so many good um, you know, pass rushers that are top five talents tackles that are top five talent interior defensive linemen who are top five talents i you know quarterbacks are always going to get overdrafted i'm going to say they showed that they were top 15 picks which in the nfl means uh if you're a quarterback and you're a top 15 player then you're a top five pick so uh yeah i, I i'm going to say uh, they showed enough to get there. Somebody's going to pick them. They're both going to be gone by pick five. I guarantee you that, uh, especially after those performances here in the past few weeks. Whether they're worth it, I'll withhold judgment. But uh, <laughs> yeah. if I'm the executive, I'm not picking them that high. But the truth of the NFL is if there's anything close to that talent level, uh, they're going to go early and often at the quarterback position because, uh, hey, look at my lesson learned. Those young quarterbacks, the teams need them to be where you're going to be, which is the playoffs. So they're going to go. So, yes, by pick five, um, young Stroud definitely out. And I don't think Levis is getting out of the top ten either. Ooh, interesting prediction. I personally do not think Levis is uh, worthy of a first-round pick uh, because of how raw he is. He's even more raw than Josh Allen was coming into the NFL. Uh, those guys yes. are more day two picks for me, but we could see a another one sneak into the top 10. Who knows indeed? And the very top of the draft, and I mean the very top, has potential for some very unprecedented drama. Due to the Texans' dramatic last-minute win over the Colts last week, along with the Bears' loss, it is the Chicago <laughs> Bears that will have the first overall pick in this 2023 NFL Draft. And they are in one of the more intriguing positions of any team picking at that spot in modern memory because they have various, and I mean various, options. My question is to you, Hal. What is the wisest possible move for the Bears to make with that first overall pick? Should they stand pat and take the best non-quarterback available or trade back a few spots with, say, the Colts at four and accumulate even more picks because the player they want at one could very well be there at four? Yeah, I, I think the Bears need to roll the dice here and trade back. 
Uh, teams are going to be hungry for quarterbacks this year. They're going to, they you're going to have value in teams trying to jump uh, another team. There's just too many teams that are in position to need a quarterback in the draft uh, that have top 10 picks and are going to be aggressive going up top. So the Bears are in a great position for that. Uh, nice to know that Lovey Smith still loves Chicago. <laughs> great, great news there. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, totally. God bless Lovey. Um, but yeah, so so for the Bears, the the, <laughs> the, the best move is going to be the trade down. Hey, you know, um, certainly the temptation to sit there and draft Jalen Carter, who, you know, it seems like a generational inside uh, talent. It's kind of like, you know, do you risk uh, missing Aaron Donald if there's another Aaron Donald coming out in the draft, which is, you know, um, where you see the Jalen Carter comparison. So, you know, do you take that risk? The Bears, yes, they do. They just have too many holes on that team. Both sides of the ball, uh, they need a lot of talent and the best way to do that is to get as many lottery pick as many uh picks as you can because the draft is like the lottery the more that you have the better chance you have of hitting big and winning uh with those players so trade down take advantage of the teams that are hungry for the quarterbacks and uh accumulate as many picks as you can has got to be what the bears uh would be the smartest thing for the bears to do right now the simpatico alert is sounding. We are in agreement there. The Bears uh, trading back, given the immense amount of holes on their roster, is the best option for them, especially if it's with the Colts. But even if it's a team like the Jets who want to move yeah. up to 13, you could get an even bigger haul and perhaps a star player to go along with that haul. Exactly. Yeah, get get some young talent there. Uh, get that pick and, and even some future picks, uh, whatever it takes. Um, you know, however they do that, whether it's moving up later rounds to the middle rounds, whatever it is, they need to accumulate that talent. They need to be aggressive to do it. And the teams are going to be there uh, wanting to move up for younger Stroud. No doubt about it. Oh, yes. And I guarantee you the Texans uh, really love one of those two. And somebody is going to want to jump the Texans to get that quarterback. I guarantee you that. So be prepared for a lot of drama surrounding the number one overall pick from now, likely until draft day. And speaking of the 2023 NFL Draft, I am excited to announce that I will once again be heading down to Mobile, Alabama to cover the Reese's Senior Bowl from January 30th to February 3rd. Stay tuned for some incredible coverage all week long as I interview draft prospects and fellow media members as we kick off our annual Dash to the Draft series. And from the draft to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where Sunday night, the Lions, despite being eliminated from playoff contention before kickoff, spoiled the Packers' playoff hopes with a 20-16 victory. And immediately after the game, Lions wide receiver Jamison Williams asked Aaron Rodgers to do a jersey swap, and Rodgers told him that he had to hang on to it. And that moment obviously triggered a lot of speculation about what comes next. Did we just see Aaron Rodgers play his final snap as a Packer, if not his final snap as an NFL quarterback altogether? Oh, I, I certainly hope not. <laughs> I, <laughs> do I, I mean, I am, I'm sorry. I'm greedy. Um, but, you know, I mean, my God, for, for age 39, he completes almost 65% of his passes, uh, throws for over 3,600 yards. I mean, a terrible year for him. He, only, he threw 12 whole interceptions and only 26 touchdowns. My God, the teams that would give their – uh, give anything to have a quarterback that bad right now. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly hope not. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, m marches to the beat of his own drummer. There's no doubt about that. But if you can say there's a player who's a young 39, I would have to say it's Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, we we need to remember, you know, quite a few years of, uh, sitting on the bench to open his career in Green Bay, um, you know, 
saved them some wear and tear there. Young quarterbacks on a bad team, uh, getting beat up with no offensive line takes years off the end. And Aaron Rodgers was fortunate to miss that uh, his first three years. And and now he seems to be following in the the footsteps of his mentor, Brett Favre, with the will he or won't he come back each and every year now. So uh, (laughs) certainly learned that lesson well. Uh, No, I, I don't think, you know, after three 13 win seasons and then uh, an eight and nine season that Aaron Rodgers is going to be ready to walk away at this point. I think he's going to be motivated to come back next year. Um, you know, do what has to be done uh, to to go out on a on a better level than this in Green Bay. Uh, I still think he's got that fire. I still think he's that first round pick who uh, dropped all the way to the end of that first round, sitting in the green room, um, angry, wondering why all these other players were being picked ahead of him, holding the clipboard for three years on the sideline, not getting his chance. I think that still drives him. And I think he's got not only this year, but a couple more years left in him. Um, I just think he wants to maximize uh, sort of like Tom Brady has done the last few years, maximize his clout, uh, you know, get his say, you know, Hey, I want to come back, but I want to have some conditions, whether it's, you know, X amount of money being spent on offensive linemen, having some input on wide receivers and what that plan is. Uh, I think he's going to maximize that clout, but I do think he'll be back in 2023 and beyond in Green Bay. Uh, Very, very good points there, Hal. We shall see. Uh, in the next uh, several weeks ahead, what Aaron Rodgers decides to do, but there is definitely an incentive for him to continue playing. And with the end of a regular season also brings a new coaching carousel. And as of right now, we have five head coaching vacancies around the NFL, the Broncos, the Cardinals, the Colts, the Panthers, and the Houston Texans. And another team that is, Possible, if not very likely, to open up in the next several days, the Los Angeles Rams. People inside that building would reportedly be quite surprised if Sean McVay decides to return for 2023. And outside of the uh, Rams, the five teams with open vacancies as of this moment, I easily consider the Panthers to have the most attractive head coaching job. They've got young talent scattered all over both sides of the football. The Cardinals, they may have Kyler Murray, but uh, the, the the cupboard is pretty bare outside of him and the skill position players on offense on that roster. And uh, the Broncos, they got uh, the Russell Wilson contract and the price they paid for it uh, ha- uh, hanging around their necks right now. Uh, the Colts, you got Jim Ursay's clown show um and and the texans uh the entire lack of stability in that organization my goodness so even if that that rams job does open up i would still consider the panthers as the most attractive head coaching vacancy would you do i hear a simpatico you do hear it indeed uh that that's a team (laughs) that is definitely on its way up um you know we talked about for the last two years sitting here going, what is Matt Rule doing there in Carolina? <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, you know, uh, wasting that opportunity there, I think. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Carolina, you know, strong defense, no doubt about it. Young players there in position uh, to be molded and be impact players as well for them. And, you know, a surprising offense. You've got draft picks coming in as well. Um, loading up on trading away McCaffrey and, you know, still being able to run the football. One of the surprise teams down the stretch. Um, certainly, I think we're both um, feeling that Steve Wilkes has done enough to earn that job. But, uh, you know, we're talking about David Tepper here. So nothing is certain yeah. in Carolina there. No doubt about it. Um, but it'll be very interesting uh, to see how that plays out. But definitely, I mean, if head coaches, Caroline is easily the most attractive job, um, you know, not only for the players on the roster already, the draft picks that they have uh, playing in the uh, NFC South as well. 
uh, you got a clear path. Just look at the Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC South and say, hey, a year or two, I can be piling up division crowns here pretty easily <laughs> and making myself look pretty good. So uh, very attractive position there, no doubt, in Carolina. Absolutely. And another uh, potential vacancy, uh, it might not be likely, but it is still quite possible is in Dallas, where the Cowboys have had a sour conclusion to the regular season and are headed on the road to Tampa in this wildcard round. And when asked on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas yesterday about Mike McCarthy's future as Cowboys head coach, Jerry Jones responded, quote, no, I don't even want to. No, that's it. I don't need to go into all the positives or minuses. I've got a lot more to evaluate Mike McCarthy on than this playoff game, unquote. While that didn't seem to be a rejection of Mike McCarthy, it didn't seem to be a full commitment either, at least to me, don't get me wrong. So my question to you, Hal, is if the Cowboys go one and done in the playoffs yet again, would you be surprised if Jerry Jones actually fires Mike McCarthy, especially with somebody named Sean Payton looking for work? Not only Sean Payton, I I think Dallas, short of getting to the Super Bowl, Mike McCarthy remains at risk, if only because of uh, offensive coordinator Kellen Moore getting interest around the league for head coaching positions. And uh, Jerry Jones, very, you know, you just said Sean Payton. Jerry Jones had Sean Payton in that building and let him get away. Yep. And he's regretted that every single day since that happened. Every win in New Orleans has eaten away at Jerry Jones, no doubt about it. I think he looks at Kellen Moore as the next Sean Payton. Um, and if he can't get Sean Payton, he's going to have Kellen Moore as as his, his head coach at some point, whether it's next season or the year after. I'm sure he'd like to uh, ride that out as long as he can. Um, but if he's forced to act, if there's interest in Kellen Moore, if there's a chance he's going to take another job uh, short of winning the Super Bowl or getting to the Super Bowl, Bye-bye, Mike McCarthy. Hello, Kellen Moore. So I would say uh, one and done. Very good chance Mike McCarthy still goes. Anything short of a Super Bowl trip, uh, very good chance Kellen Moore's head coach in 2023 in Dallas. And outside of uh, Sean Payton, there are three first-time candidates that are receiving a lot of love this cycle. They are. 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans, Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen, and Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. Of those three candidates, which one do you see being the most successful? I mean, that's that's a tough one. I, I love Shane Steichen. I'll tell you that right now. A great offensive mind. He, you know, uh, got Justin Herbert, uh, as the surprise rookie starter there (laughs) after the mishap on the sidelines, thrust him into the starting role with no preparation at all. Uh, The job he's done with Jalen hurts. I mean, that Eagles offense is right up there. Pick the metric. They're right there. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. He's turned Jalen hurts into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFC, if not in the league, Um, you know, D'Amico Ryan's, I mean, I, I don't know how anybody has any problem with D'Amico Ryan's. The job that he's done has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Robert Sala went to the Jets, and that defense got better. Uh, (laughs) It was an upgrade with D'Amico Ryan's, it's looking like. So, yeah, he's definitely uh, right there. I don't think you can go wrong um, with any of those guys. Um, But, yeah, uh, those two certainly stand out. Who was the third one? I'm sorry, David. I missed the third. Was it Ben Johnson? Ben Johnson. Lions. Lions yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Ben Johnson. Hey, I mean, he's done a fantastic job with the Lions offense that wasn't expected to be that uh, explosive as they were to rehabilitate the image of Jared Goff and make him an effective NFL quarterback again. And, um, you know, <laughs> Up and coming young offensive line. I think the only strike you have against Ben Johnson is that he's not from the McVeigh coaching tree. I think that's <laughs> the only negative you can have. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, he's right there. So, so hey, you know, all three of them, 
I I think it's I think they're great. Uh, don't ask me to pick. Yeah, I I don't think I could pick between them. You can't go wrong with either one. Um, you know, for the head coaching position, it's not so much as always the person as well, but so much of it is the right fit and that right environment. You know, who's the owner? Is the you know? I mean, who's going to fail? I don't know. Whichever one the Colts hire is likely to be the <laughs> one that's going to do worse. Really, let's look at it yeah. that way. Definitely. Um, you know, so the environment has so much to do with it. The fit. Uh, you know getting assistant coaches that they're comfortable with. We see head coaches fail with that. They trust the wrong guys. They bring in the wrong guys. Um, you know, something happens like that. Uh, success, it's, you know, and then who's the most successful? Are we talking short-term or long-term as well? That goes in, you know, are they going to be given the chance to be a long-term success? And, um, you know, so many good head coaches take a couple years to get comfortable on the team. And, and the NFL right now doesn't really allow for that. So I think especially Ryan's Steichen especially seem like they're ready to take that next step and in the right position, uh, slam dunk there. Uh, Johnson, I think, is going to be great as well. Um, may need a little more seasoning. I don't know. But uh, he's certainly a hot offensive candidate right now. And uh, he should be uh, somebody that in the right situation can make it a plus. But, hey, if, if it was me and I had to choose between the three, I, I'm going to take Shane Steigen just because. <laughs> I, I definitely understand. And uh, Benjamin Albright, NFL insider from 850KOA Radio in Denver, uh, believes Shane Steichen ends up in Carolina, which is easily the most attractive uh, head coaching job the cycle is you and I agreed. And I think Shane Steichen is absolutely the guy the Panthers need to develop whatever quarterback they end up selecting in this year's draft. And let's talk about the Texans. The Texans might be an attractive job because of all the draft picks they have, but my goodness, this is your third head coaching search in just three years. You fired Lovey Smith, even though he got the absolute best out of the most talent-deficient roster in modern NFL history. They didn't win enough games, mainly because of the lack of talent, not because of Lovey Smith. I'll be the first one to say that right there. I just do not understand what is going on with the Texans. I just do not. And Tony Dungy immediately said uh, after the news broke that Lovey Smith got fired is who's going to want to take the Texans job. Who's going to feel secure in that job. So my question to you, Hal is if you were a head coaching candidate, this cycle and the Texans offered you the job, how hesitant would you be to take the job? Given the fact that the Texans just fired two head coaches in the past two years alone. Two minority head coaches in the past two years alone. That too. Shame on me for ignoring that. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd be very hesitant there. Um, short of plucking someone that Nick Casario is buddies with from the New England system, um, you know, it's going to be hard to, uh, you know, go in there and be comfortable in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, I mean, here's Nick Casario, three years in, three head coaches. Like, you know, you're in the hot seat in the interview at that point. Um, you know, this is an ownership group that hired Jack Easterby to oversee the team just a couple of years ago. Uh, the guy was the, the team chaplain. I mean, how does this happen in an NFL franchise? At least Jeff Saturday played for the Colts. And, <laughs> you, know, you got a little excuse there. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is by any definition a clown show there for the Texans. And um, yes, it's a rebuilding program. Yes, Nick Casario has a good reputation coming out of the Bill Belichick system and having been a coach, a scout, a general manager, uh, worked hand in hand with him. But um, I'm sorry, this franchise is a mess right now. And with their record of, you know, what they've been doing these past few years, I wouldn't want any part of that clown show, um, you know. I would be very, very hesitant and need a big, big contract to be talked into that. 
D'Amico Ryans, a former Texan himself. He was a Pro Bowl linebacker during his play career with the Texans. He agrees with you. The Texans requested to interview him, and he said no thanks. He doesn't want a piece of that organization right now. And I'm sure many uh, of his uh, fellow coaching candidates, especially minority coaching candidates, agree with him there. And now let's preview the most exciting game of this Super Wild Card weekend. Justin Herbert and the Chargers going to Duval to take on Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. Easily the best quarterback match for the weekend, isn't it, Hal? Uh, it, without a doubt. Until Kansas City and Buffalo are playing, this is the best quarterback matchup of the postseason. It is, and unfortunately, we could be looking at second string and third string quarterbacks starting in the AFC this weekend, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But when it comes to this uh, Chargers-Jaguars game on Saturday night, headed into it, what alarms you the most? The Chargers run defense, Trevor Lawrence's struggles the past two weeks, or the Jaguars' inability to cover tight ends? You know, I'm going to go with the Jaguars' inability to cover tight ends because they're going up against, um, you know, let's face it, top 10 tight end in the NFL in Gerald Everett. Everett has been fantastic. Um, you know, they move him all over the place in that offense. He is, uh, you know, I mean, hey, let, let's face it. He gets overlooked there uh, in Los Angeles because they have some great wide receivers. You've got Mike Williams, if he's healthy now, <clears throat> uh, Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler out of the backfield, one of the best pass catching running backs in the NFL. Um, so, yeah, they've got uh, so many options there, and he is just dynamite coming uh, from that tight end position, whether he's in line or like they'd like to do, move him around, flex him out from different positions, make it difficult to, to pick up. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for the Jaguars. Oh, it absolutely is. Joshua Dobbs and Austin Cooper were having a third down field day <laughs> yes. against the Jaguars defense on Saturday night. My goodness. So I would easily, easily assume that uh, Justin Herbert is going to be looking to Gerald Everett and Don Donald Parham Jr. Uh, often on Saturday night. Exactly. I mean, I think they're going to be there for him for those easy first downs. And if he starts picking those up and gets that offense into rhythm, look out. That could be very dangerous. It most certainly could. And a couple of minutes ago, we talked about the Cowboys and whether or not they would fire Mike McCarthy if they were one and done. Brandon Staley could very well be looking at a similar situation with the Chargers because not only is somebody named Sean Payton who wants to get back to work very interested in coaching the Chargers. Last week, I was there myself in Denver to see the Chargers play their starters for far longer than they should have because they um, knew what their seed was before the game began. They knew they were headed to Jacksonville well before the game. And uh, I get playing a series that on the first series of the game, Justin Herbert uh, let him down the field for a touchdown. Why didn't they pull the plug then? It just made too much sense to, but Staley for some reason decided to keep them in beyond the third quarter. And Mike Williams, and thank God he's probably going to be okay for this game, got hurt in the process. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Brandon Staley is lucky that it wasn't worse. So my question is, do you think Brandon Staley committed a fireable offense by playing the starters longer than he should have last week against the Broncos? Man, he's committed so many fireable offenses these last two years, and he's still there. This one ain't going to do it. No way, no how. Uh, he's got his free pass. They're in the playoffs. Um, but, man, if he is, talk about the best job available out there. Oh, those offensive coaches are going to be lining up in Los Angeles to get their hands on a quarterback like Justin Herbert. My goodness, that would be the premier job this offseason but no i mean uh brandon staley uh he got him there to the playoffs i think they're gonna give him uh the credit for that the spanos family will will let him come back another year for year three and expect that next step in the playoffs no doubt about it but um for now nope uh he's safe i think too many fireable offenses he's still there the chargers are still charging on <laughs> it's going to take a bigger catastrophe than that.
it, it probably will. Uh, Brandon Staley is uh, pretty safe uh, per Benjamin Albright end of this game, but not 100%. We shall see what transpires there. And now let's talk about the game deciding matchup in this game. It all starts up front in this game because uh, you've got uh, Jamari Sawyer and Trey Pipkins are still going to be the Chargers' two tackles for this game because of Rashad Slater. Uh, he's almost there, but he is not quite ready to return uh, this weekend. Going up against the underrated young pass rush duo of the Jaguars, it Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker. Yeah, that is a great matchup right there. And uh, I can't wait to see these matchups here on the field down in the trenches. Uh, pass rushers, both teams, both sides of the ball going after these young quarterbacks. Uh, both of them, uh, you know, excellent instincts in the pocket. But, you know, can you get that, um, you know, offensive line? Hey, let's face it. I mean, the Chargers uh, offensive line has, especially those tackles, uh, Salyer and Pipkins stepping up this year due to injuries that the Chargers suffered uh, on the offensive line. They've been huge this year, um, much better than I expected. So, hey, if they're still doing it now, who am I to say that now they're going to fail? Now it's not going to happen. So, um, you know, Chargers, I think they can hold off there. Um, even without Rashawn Slater all year, they've been doing the job. So they've been getting it done all year. Let's see it one more week. I'm confident. I think they, they're going to be able to hold up and uh, give Herbert some time in that pocket. They most certainly should uh, be able to help just Herbert uh, in the passing game against those two pass rushers. But where those two could be even more consequential for the Jaguars, especially Trayvon Walker, is in the run game. You could expect the Chargers to run that ball a lot with Austin Eckler. And Trayvon Walker, as he showed on Saturday night, he is already an elite run defender. He just sets the most violent edge you'll ever see. And if Trayvon Walker can uh, prevent Austin Eckler from bouncing outside, uh, then uh, the Chargers could become one-dimensional on offense, which could be a benefit to the Jaguars, depending on uh, how the game goes. Yeah, I mean, Jacksonville, uh, this late surge, a lot of that has come on being able to slow down and stop the running game. Um, you know, uh, yeah, certainly they didn't shut out Tennessee on the ground, but they knew Tennessee was going to run the ball a lot, and they did not dominate that game. They did not get dominated by the Cowboys' two-headed rushing attack earlier. Um, you know, they held their ground against Baltimore and that strong running game on defense and the teams that weren't able to run the ball effectively Houston and the Jets they shut them down completely and took that running game out of the way so this is a young team that was gashed in the running game earlier in the year we saw it uh, when they went up against the Eagles we saw it against the Giants uh, you know Broncos Chiefs all had success running on them earlier in the year and they've really turned that around here uh, and and like you said it's these young players uh, down there you're seeing that growth on the defensive line these young players being able to make an impact in Jacksonville and if they're able to make that impact like we think they can and continue that uh, growth stopping the run Trayvon Walker Josh Allen uh, Devin Lloyd in the middle these young guys uh, Chad Muma even playing and running downs as well making an impact for them uh, that should be a really exciting game if they can take that away from the chargers make them one-dimensional in the passing game uh, and then those run stuffers are going to be able to pin their ears back and go after the quarterback and speaking of that let's flip sides of the line of scrimmage joey bosa and khalil mack the pass rush duo we've been dying to see all season long after joey bosa exited that week three game with a groin injury that sidelined him all the way till week uh, 17 going up against uh a uh, young, relatively inexperienced tackle combo with Walker Little at left tackle and uh, Jawan Taylor at right tackle. If uh, those two guys cannot hold up at pass protection, it could be a long, long night for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, he's definitely got some escapability and pocket presence there, but you don't want him to have to use that. He's best when he can drop, hit that back foot, have that clear space 
horseshoe around him and fire those lasers out to those wide receivers there um you know that's when he's at his best and when walker little Jawan taylor uh not household names by any stretch but well respected in the nfl um you know they jacksonville's done a good job of bringing some talent in there on that offensive line but yeah this is a test um not many teams are able to bring that kind of pressure uh with a veteran like mac and uh joey bosa there on the other side um you know it it's a lot to deal with there uh add in a veteran kyle van noy blitzing off that edge as well and and that's a handful for any offensive line in any situation um so yeah definitely something that um is going to test them and yeah they have to hold up they don't have a choice if they if you see uh bosa you know uh <laughs> joey bosa feasting early in the game that could be a bad sign for Jacksonville and a sign of uh, one and done there in Duval. Yes. And an advantage the Jaguars have on offense is that running game. That Chargers run defense has been suspect all season long. They gave up uh, over 200 yards on the ground to the Broncos uh, last week. And it all starts up front in the middle, that Jaguars interior offensive line led by the grizzled vet uh, Brandon Scherf, along with the rookie Luke Fortner, going up against that Chargers defensive line that includes one of the most underrated run defenders in the entire NFL, Sebastian Joseph Day. Sebastian Joseph Day, he's going to probably need to have the best game of his career on Saturday night to slow down Travis Etienne and that Jaguars running game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Sebastian Joseph Day has been a one-man run run stopping uh, player all by himself out there. It seems at time, so, and uh, you know, uh, it's an aggressive Chargers defense, no doubt about it. Uh, Ronaldo Ronaldo Hill likes to bring those uh, linebackers crashing down, and that leaves big gaps behind them. And you know, again, uh, you talked about it great year this year out of uh running back travis atn uh coming back from injury and uh you know despite all that crazy talk when he was drafted as a slot receiver uh that's a long gone from the game plan with doug peterson there as, as a stable head coach and uh able to use him effectively and yeah it could be a big game for atn a lot of uh chances to have uh some big plays against this Chargers defense that, like you said, has been terrible against the run. You saw them against the Broncos. It's mm -hmm. been the story all season long. I mean, it's harder to, to try to think about, you know, what teams couldn't run the ball on the Chargers this year. Um, and it's not a very long list. Um, let's mm -hmm. see. They beat up on the Colts who can't run on anybody these days. And, uh, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I'm running out of teams here that struggled against <laughs> against the Chargers running the ball. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, that's been their Achilles heel all year. And if anything's going to come back and bite them, uh, that could be something that would be huge because now they take that aggressiveness away from the defense and having to stay home and run the ball. Um, and you're just going to let, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence feast on you in the middle of the field with those uh, linebackers up close to the line of scrimmage and run support. Uh, that's not a good formula for the Chargers. It most certainly isn't. And who do you think comes away with the victory Saturday night in Duval? Is it Justin Herbert's Chargers or Trevor Lawrence's Jaguars? Yeah, I mean, this isn't a game where you look at it and you say, well, whoever's got the best quarterback wins because <laughs> <laughs> these teams both have great quarterbacks. Uh, hey, you know, I've been riding Jacksonville all season long uh, in Duval. Uh, Trevor Lawrence magic. Hey, this is a team of destiny this year. They're moving on. Uh, it'll be close. It'll be high scoring. But I see the Jags prevailing. 30 to 28 over the Chargers. I am going to go with the Chargers here because uh, I think that 
they have more matchup advantages in this game. Like we said at the passing game with tight ends and on the edges uh, with Bosa and Mack against those two tackles. And uh, also, I think experience uh, matters a great deal uh, in the playoffs. And we are going to see this Jaguars team go on a deep playoff run in the very near future, but just not right now. They're still young. They're still learning. And they're going up against a Chargers team with a lot of vets that have been there and done that with Joey Bosa, with Khalil Mack, with uh, Keenan Allen, you name it. This uh, experienced Chargers team has the upper hand. I am going with the Chargers. And now let's pick the rest of these games on Super Wildcard Weekend which starts Saturday in Santa Clara as the 49ers host the Seahawks for the third time this season. They say it is very tough to beat a team three times in one year. And I think the Seahawks are going to put up a, a, a fight throughout. I really do. But the 49ers are just way too talented for my taste. And the Seahawks' deficiencies in stopping the run, it's just too much. I like the 49ers, but I do like the Seahawks to cover that 11-point spread. Yeah, I think 11 is a little bit hard. And like you said, you know, certainly is difficult to beat any team three times in a season. But hey, we've seen that happen plenty of times in the past as well. Um, you know, oh, uh, uh, you know, I'm rooting for Geno Magic, no doubt about it. Likewise. Uh, uh, but, you know, I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, San Francisco is just too good on both sides of the ball right now. Short of, you know, uh, Geno Magic and uh, a Brock Purdy super regression into four interceptions <laughs> or something. I, I just can't talk myself into that situation. So uh, I'll say it'll be a little bit closer, definitely covering the spread, but San Francisco 27, Seattle 21. And on Sunday, the Dolphins travel to Buffalo to take on the inspired Buffalo Bills, who are clearly dedicating this playoff run to DeMar Hamlin. And if Tua was playing in this game, I would say the Dolphins would have a chance. But sadly, he is not. And even worse, it looks like Skylar Thompson will be starting this game. Uh, there, it was a great game at Buffalo between the Dolphins and Bills a couple weeks ago when Tua was playing. That uh, ended on a last-second Bills field goal in the snow. This one isn't going to be close at all. Bills run all over Skylar Thompson and the Dolphins. 35 to 14. Yeah, I mean, I want to give the Dolphins a chance here. Um, and like you said, you know, give me Tua, and I think they've got this game. They beat the Bills earlier in the season with Tua playing, but uh, Skylar Thompson, I just don't see the magic there. Uh, would love to make this an upset special. No way, no how. Bills just too strong on both sides of the ball. And like you said, uh, they are a motivated team in this playoffs. They've got something to play for. Beware of teams with something to play for. Um, I think the Bills not even close in this one. Um, I'm going to make it 40 to 13 over the Dolphins. And the second game in the Sunday wildcard triple header is in Minnesota as the Vikings host the Giants. These teams met on Christmas Eve, and it was a very close affair with the Vikings pulling it out on a last-second 61-yard field goal by Greg Joseph. But do you think Brian Dable ends up with the upper hand this time over Kevin O'Connell? Yes. Yes, I do. Giants. They are going to take this game. Um, definitely, I can feel it in my bones. Giants 27, Vikings 24. How is that going to happen? Oh, that's my bold prediction. I'm actually going to stay with the, the Vikings because the Vikings, uh, they have been the grittiest team in the NFL all season long. Pun intended. <laughs> the grittiest. <laughs> Gritty. But uh, I think there's just too much talent on the Vikings that outweighs the talent of the Giants in the end. And that's why I think the Vikings escape with another close 23-20 to 20 victory. And Sunday night in Cincinnati, the Bengals host the Ravens. And as of right now, if Ian Rappaport's reporting is correct... Lamar Jackson faces an uphill climb to play on Sunday night. This is the, his fifth week of that grade two PCL sprain he suffered against the Broncos in early December. Uh, and even if he does play, which is quite possible he does, 
he is still not 100% at all. He is still dealing with a lot of swelling in that knee uh, from what's been reported. And whether Lamar or not, I just cannot see the Ravens winning this game. Bengals win this game. Uh, Ravens are going to put up a fight. Don't get me wrong. It, it's going to be relatively close route, but the Bengals escape in the end 23 to 13. Yeah, I think give give a healthy Lamar out there and it's a whole different ball game, but um, Lamar at 70% or no Lamar at all, no chance. Either way, I think the Bengals are winning this game and I think they're winning it big. Uh, not even going to be close. 34 to 13 Bengals over the Ravens. And the Bills have something to play for, but I think the Bengals do as oh, well because yeah. I think they feel robbed by the NFL's uh, postseason contingency plan. No doubt about it. They are motivated as well. Um, those players are going to be fired up more than they normally would be on wild card weekend. Uh, no doubt about it. And throughout the playoffs, they have something to prove this offseason uh, for sure with that Bengals team. Uh, and not only that, this is a team that even though they might be pissed off that they did get a better a shot uh, via the NFL's uh, playoff contingencies uh, to host uh, more home games. They're headed this playoffs confident because they won two out of three road playoff games last season to go to the Super Bowl. And I think they definitely believe uh, that they could do it again. Joe Burrow is probably having those guys in that locker room thinking, yes, we got hosed by the NFL's uh, playoff uh, contingency plans in the wake of the cancellation of our game against the Bills. But so what? We did it last year. We can do it again. For sure. I think, yeah, you have that right. Uh, Joe Burrow, he is angry and he is ready to bring that swagger with him and take on all comers this postseason. Look out for the Bengals. And Monday night in Tampa, Tom Brady and the Bucks host Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Brady's Bucks have gotten the best of Dak's Cowboys in the past two meetings. Is the third time the charm for the Cowboys who struggled to conclude the regular season? Oh man, I, I can I pick against Tom Brady in the playoffs? The greatest winner against the biggest playoff disappointment team of the past twenty years. Oh my God, every instinct is saying. Cowboys are going to run the ball down their throat. They're going to get up an early lead on Tampa Bay. Uh, Dak's going to be effective throwing the ball. Uh, Tampa just doesn't have a chance. Oh, man. Uh, you know, how do you pick against Tom Brady? <sighs> I'm going to go against my heart. I'm going to say somehow, some way, Dallas on the road runs the ball enough to get the W and the last minute heroics fall just short Dallas 24 Tampa 22 your heart is in my brain I am going <laughs> with Tom Brady and the Bucks in this game I personally do not trust Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys uh, until they show me otherwise. And the way uh, Tom Brady uh, looked against the Panthers has me very, very confident that they're going to be able to exploit the greedy tendencies of that uh, Cowboys secondary. And uh, how do they do it? It's time for our bold predictions. And I will go first. The Bucks beat the Cowboys in a high-scoring game by putting up 550 yards of total offense including not one, not two, but three touchdown passes of 40-plus yards from Tom Brady to future Hall of Famer Mike Evans. That is my bold prediction. What about yours, Sal? Yours concerns the Giants. Yeah, that's a bold one. I don't know if I could top that, but, uh, you know, down 24 to 20, fourth quarter on the road against the Minnesota Vikings as you said, the grittiest team in the NFL <laughs> right now. Um, but hey, I think the Giants tipped their hand in the season finale. The much maligned, the worst signing of free agency in the past two years, Kenny Galladay coming off the bench to make the game-winning touchdown reception with under a minute to play. Why not? Can you get bolder than that? Giants 27-24. Star of the game, Kenny Galladay. 
Oh, that is bold indeed, Hal. And last but not least, as always, we conclude our program with our challenge flags. You go first here, Hal. Uh, well, uh, David, you've inspired me here with your bold prediction. I'm challenging Tom Brady. Uh, dig deep. Uh, listen to David. Uh, make that <laughs> come true. Greatest player, greatest quarterback, greatest playoff quarterback in NFL history. Do it one more time. Damn it, man. You sacrificed your marriage for this season. Don't go one and done for that. Come on, man. Get that W, Tom. Uh, very good, Hal. And my challenge flag goes to every team with a head coaching vacancy. For the love of God, give Steve Wilkes an interview. It doesn't look like Steve Wilkes is going to be promoted from interim head coach to full-time head coach in Carolina as of right now. But even if he doesn't, he's earned another head coaching opportunity in this league. How he just turned that Panthers team around the second after being named interim head coach. He just laid down a culture, a foundation. The players bought in. They battled hard for it every single week. And after starting one and five, they went six and six down the stretch and came pretty close at um, knocking off and dethroning Tom Brady and the Bucks from the uh, top of that division. Steve Wilkes, that was one of the most impressive coaching jobs I have ever witnessed. He is exactly the kind of coach you need for the Texans, for the Broncos, for the Colts, for the Cardinals, where he was a head coach for just one season. Oh, my goodness. Steve Wilkes, he's earned this opportunity. Every team that has a head coaching vacancy, interview Steve Wilkes. That's all there is to it. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, of full press coverage. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Thank you once again, Hal, and that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to recap Super Wild Card Weekend, preview Divisional Round Weekend, and discuss all the latest on the coaching carousel plus other news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 as well as on Instagram and now TikTok at Sports Crunch with dcrom And remember, that's Crunch with AK. Also. I want to give a huge congratulations to friends of the pod, McKenna and Alexandria. McKenna is headed to Vegas as she was just selected by her teammates as the 2023 Denver Broncos cheerleader Pro Bowl representative. Yay, McKenna. Let's give her a hand. Congrats. And my good friend Alexandria just cheered in her 90th and final game in the NFL. Bravo. Such amazing NFL cheer careers, McKenna and Alexandria. For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell, and as always, choose love, choose kindness, choose compassion, choose selflessness, and choose empathy, which are some of the core characteristics of the best teammates like Damar Hamlin and teams. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool. Stay cool.